according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Father, we ask that you would be gracious to us this morning. That by your word, you would move our hearts. Father, we have your living and active word opened up right now. And so we ask that your spirit would transform and change our hearts that we would get an even greater glimpse into the mystery of this gospel. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through this letter that Paul has written to uh, the church in Ephesus. And so, so far what we have seen is Paul very clearly laying out the mystery of the gospel to his readers. This is what he told us in verses 1 through 6. That this is why he went to this place. This is why he went to the city of Ephesus. To proclaim this message to the Gentiles. And this message is is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs. They are members of the same household. They are partakers of the promises. Fellow heirs, fellow members, partakers with who though? The, Gen- or the Jews. This is who. So Paul, a Jewish man, has been proclaiming the message that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And that the Gentiles who were once strangers and aliens and on the outside of this covenant, on the outside of this promise, are now made one with the Jews. The same promises, the same kingdom, the same citizenship is now extended to the Gentiles. And this is what Paul's been preaching. This is the evangelism that Paul has been doing as he's been going from city to city. He's been proclaiming this message that those who were once on the outside are now included. This is an amazing message. And it's amazing that Paul was used to proclaim this message. Because what we're going to see in these verses this morning is that Paul, being the least of all the saints, or or what we could say for us in the 21st century, is what Paul is saying is the least of all the Christians. Paul, being the least of all the Christians, God still used him to proclaim the gospel. You have one aim this morning. My aim is to encourage you and to motivate you to see that God is not looking for varsity level 
or some type of spiritual or special, I'll say, Christian to evangelize. God is not looking for a special Christian to evangelize or proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not. He's not looking for an impressive type, this varsity-level-esque type of player who can get the job done, where we can sit back and say, yeah, we're on the same team, but, but that game, the varsity game, is what matters the most, and I don't play on that team. God is not looking for a special Christian to evangelize, and yet... In recent times, it seems like evangelism has gotten harder and harder. I'm going to make a very obvious statement to us. We live in a consumeristic age. I know this because I participate in it. I participated in it last night as Sharice and I are sitting on the couch watching TV and we're talking about getting a gift and she shows me on her phone a gift to get. And with one click of a button, it's going to be here today. Last night at 8 p.m., sitting on a couch, I was able to order something that will be delivered to my house today. We live in a consumeristic age. It's impossible to deny that. And I just wonder how much that has creeped into the Christian's life. You know, the church has gotten into a habit of marketing Christianity. And when you market anything, what do you think about? The consumer. What the consumer would want. How to make the product that you want to market as easy to get as possible. It's nice at 8 p.m. not having to go out and buy a gift, but instead of just clicking a button that says buy now. But what are the effects when the church markets Christianity. You see, the other thing with marketing is the consumer doesn't take ownership for what's being marketed. Why? Because the consumer expects that the professional will do the marketing. That the paid person will do the marketing. Can it be said for us? Have we a consumer heart where we expect the professional to evangelize? Here's the aim. I've told you it. My aim is to convince you and show you 
that it does not take a special Christian to evangelize. My aim and hope is to show you that you can do it. My aim is to ask you to reflect and ask the question, have you become a consumer? Are you expecting the professional, the the varsity level Christian to do a task that we've all been called to do? And I believe that as we look at Paul's life here, of what he's showing us in these two verses, we will catch a glimpse of what motivated Paul to evangelize. So, let's take a look at these two verses this morning. The first thing we see here is how Paul thought of himself. And this is important for us. This is important for us because as we ask the question, are we consumers, and as we look at being motivated to evangelize and what made Paul such a great evangelist, we're confronted with this reality that Paul saw himself as the least of all the Christians. Now, some say that Paul was a special man. I would say that Paul was used in special ways. There's nothing special about Paul. It's that God used him. Now, let's put some respect on Paul's name. Let's give Paul honor. And let's rejoice in the Apostle Paul. But let's not put him into this varsity level category of some type of special Christian before asking the question, how did Paul see himself? And we see here in our passage how Paul viewed himself. The least of all the saints. The least of all the Christians. In other places, Paul views himself as the chief of sinners. In while he's writing to Timothy, he tells Timothy that he is the foremost of sinners. Think about who is saying this. Think about the man that is acknowledging that he is the least of all the Christians, the, the chief sinners, the, the foremost of sinners. This is the Apostle Paul, the, the one who went from city to city and proclaimed the mystery of this gospel. The one who was able to raise a dead man to life. The one who was taken up into the third heavens and received revelations that he tells us that would have blown our mind if he were to have written them down. And yet, Paul views himself as the least of all. Is this a man who thought he was special in any type of way? No. So the question then is, is Paul being self-deprecating? 
Because we do live in a culture, we do live in a time where people would look at Paul and say, Paul, you need to speak more positively to yourself. Get rid of these negative thoughts, Paul. You need some self-actualization. You're not as bad as you think you are. So is Paul being self-deprecating here? Is he pulling up his robe and staring at his belly button just trying to be a navel gazer? Is Paul looking for some type of false humility so that way people can look at him and say, Wow, Paul, not only are you this great apostle, but you are just so humble as well. The answer to both of those is no. Paul is not being self-deprecating here. And Paul is not trying to show some type of false humility here. What's going on here and why Paul is able to say that he is the least of all the Christians is because Paul knew his heart the best. I wonder how well you know your heart. I wonder how much you've taken time to reflect on your sin. We live in a day and age where the temptation is as soon as some type of thought comes into our head to pull out our phones and distract ourselves. Have you reflected about your heart? Paul is not just trying to have some type of false humility or be self-deprecating, he understands the depths of his sin. He understands the sin that has separated him or separated him from the God of this universe. Paul knows that he was a, a persecutor of the church. You can read in Acts, in the beginning of Acts, and you can see that as Stephen's face is glowing, as he preaches this message, and as the Jewish people get all crazy and wild and start to stone Paul, they are laying their cloaks at, at or sorry, Stephen, they are laying their cloaks at Paul's feet. Paul is saying to stone this man. And as you read on, you read that Paul is the one who was having Christians thrown into jail. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a hater of the church. He was a Pharisee who was zealous to lock up and throw away any Christian that he possibly could. He was a hater of the God that he believed to worship. His good works and religiosity did him no good. And he recognized that. He recognized that so much so that he is able to say that, that laying your good works in front of God is like laying filthy rags at the king's feet. Paul knew the depths of his heart. He knew the thoughts that would come to his mind. He knew the anger that he had towards a people group. He saw the chasm and the separation between him and his creator. 
And that led him to understand, I am the least of all Christians. I am the chief of sinners. I am the foremost of all sinners. Why? Because he goes on to tell us, so that Christ would show his patience to sinners. It was so that Paul could be an example of God's rich mercy. Sin is not something to fool around with. Sin is a hard topic to bring up to sinners because sinners don't want to see themselves as sinners. Have you reflected and looked in your heart? God tells Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all else. God tells Ezekiel that he would have to cut out the heart of stone in people's, that he would have to put a spirit within them. We cannot minimize sin. Church, as soon as we minimize sin, we will not, and I won't get too ahead of myself, but we will not then see the riches of God's grace. And we live in a culture that has minimized sin, and it starts with the church. So here's my challenge to you. From now on, when you refer to sin, don't refer to sin as your struggle. Sin is not a struggle. Sin is rebellion against God. If you have a, a porn addiction, don't refer to your porn addiction as a struggle. Your porn addiction is adultery. It's rebellion against God. If you're here this morning and you have an anger problem, don't say that it's an anger struggle. Your anger is murder. It's rebellion against God. If you go around coveting things that other people have, don't say that you struggle with wanting stuff that you don't have. Call it what it is. It is a sin. You want to steal what that person has. Sin is not a struggle. And the way that the church has been communicating about sin, the way that Christians have been communicating about sin, is belittling sin and calling it struggle. Struggle is nowhere found in Paul's vocabulary. Sin is not a struggle. Sin is rebellion against God. And we are all born with sin. And we are all separated from God because of this sin. And it's not just that we're separated a little bit from God. We are separated light years from God. Universes from God. I once had a professor as he was talking to us about uh, what Paul means in Romans when he says that we all fall short of the glory of God. Oftentimes the illustration for this is, is one of like a, an archer who has a bow and an arrow. And let's just say right below Ken is, is a target. 
and, and, and the archer pulls out the arrow, and the arrow just falls short of the target. That's not how far we fall short of the target. No, what, what my professor suggested to us is, is the archer turns around and shoots the arrow about a hundred times away from the target. This is our sin. This is how far we fall short of the glory of God. Our good works will not make us right with God. And Paul is aware of this because he was a religious man who was so bold to say that according to the law, he was righteous. Paul was saying, according to the law, I walked that thing blameless. And yet here he is writing to the church in Ephesus saying, I am the least of all Christians. There is not one thing that you have done that I have done that's worse. I've done it all and it has been worse by ten. Paul viewed himself as the chief of sinners. How do you view yourself? The chief of sinners or just with a little sin? Or maybe, well, of course I'm the chief of sinners, but I'm also a pretty good person too. In order to understand what Paul is to say next, in order to see what motivated Paul to evangelize, in order to encourage you to be the evangelists that you can be, we have to understand the significance of this first reality. Is that each and every one of us are by nature sinners that do not deserve the grace of God, but instead deserves His wrath and His judgment. Because it's for that very reason we'll see what motivates Paul. We'll see what should motivate us. We'll see what can actually put to death this consumeristic heart. Because although Paul is able to see himself as the chief of sinners and the least of all Christians, Paul is also able to say this. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. And that's not the only time in these two verses that, that Paul is going to go out of his way and talk about the gift of God's grace. And it certainly hasn't been the first time that Paul in this letter has talked about God's grace. He says to me, though I am the very least of all sinners, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What is grace? What is this grace that Paul looks at and marvels? It's forgiveness that he didn't deserve. 
when I was coaching basketball, I was coaching a, a freshman team and I lined them up after practice on right below the hoop and each one took a shot to end practice. And the deal was for every shot that you missed, that was one lap around the gym that you would have to take. Those poor freshmen. As it went through the line and they missed every single one except for one. And so they were running and running and running. And I pulled them in halfway through and I asked them if they knew what grace was. And one kid raised his hand and said, it's forgiveness from a debt that you have. And I asked them to explain that a little bit more. Well, well it's, it's, it's a debt that you have, that you need to pay back. But grace is that you're forgiven from that debt. That's the grace that Paul is seeing here. Paul knew just how large his debt was. Paul understood the weight of this debt. He understood the massiveness of this debt. He understood that his sins far outweighed any good work that he could have possibly done to earn his salvation. Here's Paul, the most religious man in Jerusalem of the day. And it still wasn't good enough. Paul recognized when Christ came to him that he needed a Savior to atone for that debt. He knew that he ultimately could not keep those commandments that God had given Moses. He knew what his punishment was. He knew that he deserved God's just wrath. But Christ came and knocked him off his high horse and showed him that the only way to have eternal life is through Christ. If you're here with us this morning and you have been working day after day assuming that when you die you will be able to lay down your good works to God, Listen to me now. That will not be enough. You could live 10,000 lives and your good works will not be enough. But Christ's work on the cross, His sacrifice was once and for all and through your trust in Him, you can receive the righteousness you need. You can receive the rightness with God that you need by putting trust in Christ. That's it. And this is the grace that Paul has come to understand. 
that when you receive this, when you trust in Christ, you receive forgiveness and God's spiritual blessings. Paul recognized this wasn't any of his power. It wasn't any of his might. It was a gift of God. And how often do we function that the gift we've received is not a gift that we've received, but a gift that we've purchased? I mean, up to this point, how many times has Paul made it very clear to us that it is the power of God that the Father chose to adopt us before the foundation of the world. That the blood of Christ has redeemed us from our sins. That the Holy Spirit has sealed us for all eternity. That we were dead spiritually in our sin, willingly following the passions of the air. How clear does Paul make it to us that it is by grace you are saved through faith and it is not a work of your own but the free gift of God. This is what amazed Paul. Is that he went from being dead in his sins to a new creation. He's redeemed. He's set free. And because of that, God makes him. God makes him. God makes Paul. The very man who was persecuting his church, he makes him an apostle and a foundation starter to his church. God wills it. He, he looks at Paul and he says, you, Paul, will now advance my kingdom. The very kingdom that you tried to destroy is now the very kingdom that I'm going to use you to build up. You were an enemy, now you're not, and I will use you to advance this kingdom. I will use you to evangelize to the nations, to teach about the kingdom, to show the mystery of the gospel of my son Jesus Christ, that the kingdom is now available to the Gentiles. And this happens because it was God's will for it to happen. Paul is now made a, a servant of God. He was once a servant and slave to sin, and now he's a servant and slave to Jesus Christ. And Paul sees this as so incredible. He sees this as so amazing that Paul is willing to lay down his life and he counts it as a, an honor to be thrown in prison. I mean, what more of a ridiculous man was captured by the beauty of the riches of God's grace? As he sits here and he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You throw me in prison, I'll preach to your guards. If you beat me and throw me outside of your city, I'm going to get back up and walk back in and start evangelizing again. We're in the middle of a storm and, and there's a shipwreck. I'm going to still preach and pray. I'm going to evangelize. He was 
captured and amazed at the beauty of God's grace because he knew the depths of his depravity and sin. And so call, so God called Paul to be an apostle, to, to go to the people. Now look, I'm not saying that, Paul, that God is calling you to be an apostle. I, if, if anyone tells you, hey, I'm an apostle, just be a little bit suspect. If, if, they, if they put themselves on the same playing field as, as Paul, that's just run. God hasn't called you to be an apostle. But God has called some of you to be moms and fathers. And you have kids in your home right now that need to be evangelized to. God has called you to be a brother or a sister, a grandmother, a grandfather. God has called some of you to be school teachers and bank tellers and engineers and students. Upon your profession of faith, God has called you to serve his kingdom. So serve his kingdom where you are at, bringing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are around you. So here's my question for us. What captured Paul's heart? Why was Paul willingly laying down his life for the advancement of this gospel? It was because he was amazed at the, the grace of God. He was awestruck by God's grace. He saw it as the most wonderful and beautiful reality that he has just received because he knew that as a sinner, he could never work enough to earn the merit he needed to enter into God's kingdom. And yet through Christ, he knew that that was freely given to him. This is why Paul was willing to lay down his life. This is why Paul went from place to place even when people were threatening to take his life to advance this gospel. Because he saw the, the riches of God's grace. He's already told the church in Ephesus this in, in chapter 2. But God being rich in mercy and great in love. This is why Paul is going around saying, I'm preaching the innumerable riches of God's grace to all that I can. It's because he was, he was captured by this grace. Are you amazed at this grace? Do you marvel at this grace? Do you reflect, wow God, how could you have possibly saved a sinner like me? This is a mystery. How is it that you could love me first? I know my heart, God. I know how sinful it is. Or, so are you amazed at the reality that this grace is extended to you, a sinner? 
If not, there may be two reasons why. The first reason is that you ultimately don't think that you're as bad of a person. Or you don't think that you're ultimately as sinful as you really are. And the other reason may be is that you're not actually born again. You haven't experienced the conversion, the life-changing reality. You have not tasted and seen just how good God is. It's being amazed at God's grace that makes somebody an evangelist. This is why God isn't looking for any special type of Christian to be an evangelist. He's, he's just asking people to be captured by His grace. God isn't looking to the extraordinary. He's looking to the very ordinary person who is just bewildered that there was enough grace to cover their sin. He's looking for the faithful that takes the opportunity when it arises. God's not looking for us to be street corner evangelists. He's looking for us to take the shot when we have the shot. He's looking for us to walk in the good works that He's prepared beforehand. This is what I want to encourage you with, is that you can do it. You can be an evangelist. God has given you the Spirit of God. He has given you His Spirit. And Jesus tells us, you will do greater things than I because we will be able to speak over the valley of dry bones. Are you captured by God's grace in your life? This is what makes an evangelist an evangelist. It's not somebody who knows all of the things. And I know that's right now, that's some of you. I don't know enough. Do you know that Jesus died for your sins? Do you marvel at that? Then you know enough. You know, Max, I'm an introvert. I'm not asking for you to be an extrovert. I'm asking to be captured by the grace of God. Well, I'm just scared I'm going to mess up. I'm going to embarrass him, but that's okay. We can talk about it afterwards, Bert. At Life Group on Thursday, Bert, Bert told us that he took, he's like, I took, a, I took a full handful of seeds and just chucked it at my friend's face, and I feel, you didn't mess up. You did the right thing. Don't be afraid to mess up because you have the Spirit. And Jesus tells us, I'll give you the words to say. Maybe you're thinking, I've just done too much wrong. There's no possible way that my family or my friends or anybody around me would want to listen to me. <laughs> Take that up with the Apostle Paul who was putting Christians in jail. And then he was going to those churches 
and trying to encourage them. If anyone would have had a hard time or would have had the enemy saying, Paul, you hypocrite. You were putting these people in jail and now you're telling them to be a part of this thing? Are you serious, Paul? Look at all of those things you once did. Paul would have been able to understand what you're going through. So let's evangelize. Let's evangelize. Let's be captured by the beauty of God's grace and evangelize. It's hard for the consumer to be captured by the beauty of anything because they just want to consume. If we are captured by the grace of God, it'll overflow out of us. So as I conclude, here's just a few things. Evangelism. Have a right understanding of yourself. And this isn't a a condemnation type of I'm a terrible person type of understanding. This is living in the balance between I'm a sinner and I'm also a precious daughter. I'm also a precious son. But understanding just how severe your sin is will help you have a right understanding of who God is. And that is He is a righteous and just God that has sent His Son Jesus to die for our sins. It will help us to understand that His riches of His grace, it's unsearchable. There's a reason why we're told that God's mercies are new every morning. And that's because God's mercies are literally new for you every single morning. And you don't ever have to worry about using up yesterday's mercies because you are met with new mercies today. And it's a right understanding of the gospel. That the gospel is freely extended to all. I I just can't help but marvel at times if God could save a sinner like me. Anyone can get in on this. So who is it that is around you in your life that you have not been sharing the gospel with that you need to? Could it be that maybe you're not captured by God's grace like you should be. Repent and ask for faith. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, who is man that you are mindful of him? That you would send your only son to be a propitiation, to be an atonement for our sin on the cross. That you would forgive us of our sins as far as the east is from the west. 
We praise your awesome name. Amen.